Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Hegel, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly, it's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally, they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com slash obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash obscura. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Ask any parent, and they'll tell you. Nothing can prepare you for how much your life will change forever. Once you have children, in the final weeks and days of a pregnancy, Expected mothers and their families eagerly await the imminent arrival. The euphoria of bringing home a new baby is one of those intense and incomparable life experiences. It takes place amidst a whirlwind of emotions, sudden sleep deprivation, and the inevitable piles of laundry. It's the steepest of steep learning curves. Those first few weeks at home with a newborn are terrifying, confusing, and wondrous all at once. There's so much to learn. Hypervigilance and feelings of being overwhelmed are common, especially for new parents. Questioning whether what you're doing is correct while a tiny, vulnerable human is entirely reliant upon you for survival is the biggest responsibility we could have. It's one of life's true privileges, wrapped up in an intimidating, yet cute and helpless bundle. Despite the joy that the birth of a new baby brings to a family, one in six women find themselves struggling with postpartum depression. Stigma continues to surround the condition, but awareness of the symptoms and impact of postpartum depression has increased in recent decades. This is thanks to health professionals and mothers around the world who have recognized the importance of normalized being open about the experiences of motherhood. As we know, when it comes to depression in general, thoughts of self-harm and suicide aren't uncommon. Monitoring whether and to what extent a new mother feels suicidal is vital to assessing how much of a risk she is to herself in order to keep everyone in the family unit safe. But there's another less well-known, 
and more rare postpartum condition. It's one which can have devastating consequences, not only for a new mother, but more frequently, her new baby. Now, let's get on with it. And then John jokingly said, well, what if it's a body? We checked it out. We could only see the head and uh, the left hand sticking out of the mud had rings on it, and apparently she had died screaming. Yes. Oh my God, I can't believe it. You're yourself? Yes. 
Listener, to fully understand the events that led to the 911 audio you just heard, we need to go back about 45 years. It's a long time, but it's a fitting place to begin. In 1976, Manuela Sanchez gave birth to a daughter she named Dottie. Dottie didn't know her father growing up, but she lived in a household in San Antonio, Texas that was bursting at the seams, with seven other relatives also living there. When Audie was only five years old, she realized that someone was talking to her. But it wasn't her other relatives in the household. The voice seemed to be coming from somewhere inside her. And as far as Audie understood, no one else seemed to be able to hear it. She would later tell a psychiatrist that the voices were usually, quote, good voices, saying everything is going to be okay. However, from time to time, Audie also heard a voice she called Lucy... Lucy was what Audie described as a, quote, bad voice, telling me to do bad things, like eat my hand. Audie didn't know it at the time, but several of her close relatives were also living with mental illness, often characterized by auditory hallucinations. As Audie grew up, though, her family didn't notice anything amiss with her mental health. In fact, many in her family considered her to be the most mentally healthy of all their relatives, Throughout Audie's childhood, she moved frequently along with her mother and sister, relocating to at least three different states. The trio eventually ended up in California. But when Audie started high school in the late 1980s, they returned to Texas. Despite the auditory hallucinations that Audie continued to experience, she managed to get through her childhood and adolescence and graduated high school. In 2003, according to the Daily Mail, 27-year-old Audie was studying to become a pharmacy assistant. She met and began dating 27-year-old Scott Bucholz, who was taking the same course. Scott had been previously diagnosed with schizophrenia and took various antipsychotic and anticonvulsant medications to manage his condition. Audie and Scott's relationship was far from smooth sailing. It was often tumultuous and chaotic. No sooner would the couple break up than they would reconcile. Tension and uncertainty became a defining characteristic of their on-and-off relationship over the following years. Three years later, in 2006, 30-year-old Audie began using drugs. The voices in her head, which had been a constant presence, didn't go away. and Instead, they became worse. As Audie's mental health deteriorated and her behavior became more erratic and unpredictable, she lost her position at the pharmacy. She drifted between a succession of jobs, 
mainly working for fast food outlets. In May 2008, Adi decided to take a road trip with a friend to Austin. Adi's friend had an appointment with an acupuncturist, and Adi thought it would be a good opportunity to go visit an ex-boyfriend. While Adi's friend was in her acupuncture appointment, Adi was at a loose end. She decided to go for a walk. She soon found herself at a local CVS drugstore. But instead of moving on and heading back to meet up with her friend, Adi remained in the drugstore, where she wandered the aisles for the next eight hours. According to the Daily Mail, Adi told staff she was traveling to China and needed supplies. Concerned, they called the police, who attended and decided it was best to take Adi to the Austin State Hospital, where she was admitted. Following a mental health assessment, 32-year-old Adi was diagnosed with schizophrenia and prescribed antipsychotic medication. She remained hospitalized for the next two and a half weeks. Meanwhile, her mother Manuela was in a panic. When Adi failed to return from Austin, Manuela contacted San Antonio police to report her daughter missing. As far as Manuela knew, Adi had never experienced any mental illness, but she did tell police she was concerned that Adi's disappearance had resulted from her drug use. As Adi recovered from her psychotic episode, her prognosis was positive. Before she was discharged from Austin State Hospital, she was referred back to the Center for Healthcare Services in San Antonio. This was the public mental health clinic where Adi would be receiving ongoing outpatient care despite her lack of health insurance before being discharged to go back home. Hospital staff made Adi's initial clinic appointment. They ensured she had all the appropriate information to get there. Later called the clinic to check that she'd attended her appointment on June 20th, as scheduled. Adi was compliant with the arrangements, and according to KENS5 News, her medication was changed following her contact at the San Antonio Clinic. This wouldn't have been unusual. Sometimes it can be a process of trial and error, find the most effective and appropriate medication to manage particular mental illness. This can depend on the patient's circumstances and how they manage any side effects. Adi's treatment continued to progress well. She received regular counseling and prescription medication from the clinic for free for the next three months. The auditory hallucinations weren't as intense and it started to fade away. Cognitively, things seemed clearer and day-to-day life came easier for Adi to manage. In a perfect world, this is where Adi's story should end, but it doesn't. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be a straightforward matter for Adi to continue to receive the help she needed on an ongoing basis. The Texas mental health system was under immense pressure. Thousands of people who needed treatment simply couldn't possess it. They were lucky enough to be eligible for private services. They usually couldn't afford it. In cities like San Antonio, the demand for mental health treatment far outweighed the ability for the public health system to adequately treat all those who required it. Most thankfully to woeful, inadequate funding, things became dire for someone experiencing a mental health episode. It wasn't simply a matter of seeking admission to a state-run psychiatric facility either. These hospitals were just as overwhelmed as the community mental health clinics. Even if a patient had insurance, this often didn't allow for coverage of the services required to appropriately treat mental health issues. Even in a private setting, it should come as no surprise then 
that the San Antonio clinic where Adi was being treated was drastically underfunded. By early September 2008, he could no longer afford to provide Adi with the ongoing counseling and medication that was keeping her safe and mentally stable. If Adi wanted to continue her treatment, she was now in a position where she'd have to cough up the cash to pay for it herself or apply for disability payments from the government to cover the cost. The news was troubling for Adi. In her mind, no matter what, she felt she couldn't afford counseling for her medication, so she stopped attending her appointments. She also ceased taking her medication, but nobody knew. Or if they did, no one did anything about it. Back at the clinic, staff were so overwhelmed by the sheer volume of people awaiting treatment that according to the Texas Observer, no one had the time to call Adi and make inquiries as to why she'd stopped showing up or what the barriers were to her staying engaged with the mental health treatment. Adi's file was closed by the clinic. By this stage, Adi and her boyfriend Scott had once again reunited and were living together under the same roof as Scott's mother Kathleen. But there was more news to share. Adi was pregnant. She saw antenatal care through a local OBGYN clinic throughout the pregnancy to monitor the health of both herself and her unborn baby. By this stage, she had secured a job as a home health care worker and managed to work up until two weeks before she was due to give birth. On June 30th, 2009, 33-year-old Adi and Scott welcomed a bouncing baby boy into the world. The bundle of joy was named Scott Wesley Bouchold Sanchez after his father, but nicknamed Scotty. This was an opportunity for the couple to truly make a fresh start. They now had someone else to worry about other than themselves. Both families were over the moon the new addition. Maybe a child would be just the thing to help Adi and Scott's relationship to flourish and for the couple to thrive in their new roles as parents. Aside from briefly having a catheter, Adi generally appeared to recover well from the birth. Mentally, she wasn't doing so well and was diagnosed with postpartum depression. She was prescribed an antidepressant medication called Citalopram, which, like many antidepressants, had side effects and could take several weeks to begin working. Adi chose not to push through the initial side effects, which include tiredness, she didn't like how the medication made her feel, so on July 17th, she stopped taking it. According to the Texas Observer, there were plans for Adi to be prescribed a different medication, but things were about to come to a head too quickly for that to be of any benefit. On the morning of July 20th, Adi and Scott had yet another of their blowout arguments. Adi went straight to see a counselor at the OBGYN clinic. The counselor was aware of Adi's medical history, including her hospitalization in Austin and diagnosis of schizophrenia and depression. As the counselor spoke to Adi and observed her responses and physical presentation, it was clear that Adi was unwell. Adi told the counselor she felt paranoid, couldn't shake the feeling that other women wanted to breastfeed Scotty. She also explained that the voices in her head had returned. They were telling her that Scotty was going to be taken away. As if this wasn't concerning enough, 
Hottie told the counselor that she was having visual hallucinations, specifically in relation to Scotty. When she looked at him, she didn't see the face that was her newborn son, but instead faces of other children. Listener, one of my favorite guilty pleasures is watching bad and cheesy horror movies. There's just something fun about picking them apart. But you know what I feel exactly zero guilt about? How much I love playing Best Fiends. Our friends over at Best Fiends have been generous enough to support our show on and off for some time now. And I have to say, the game is addictive in the best way. It's a great way to de-stress between recording sessions. I really like the presentation and cartoony characters. My girlfriend has a great time playing it too. Best Fiends is boredom's worst nightmare. With Best Fiends, there's something new today and tomorrow. And every day after that, literally thousands of levels to play and counting, plus tons of cute characters to collect. So if you never get tired of solving puzzles, good news. With Best Fiends, the fun never ends. Just don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Listener. Sometimes it rains on your birthday. Sometimes the line for coffee wraps around the building. Sometimes gas goes up 10 cents. Sometimes life stinks. The good news? You don't have to, because Native has your back. Native cares about the products you put on your body. They're about stopping the stink the right way. That's the Native difference. You probably already know about Native's legendary aluminum-free deodorant. Have you tried their body wash, toothpaste, or their brand new mineral-based sunscreen? Yes, Native now has a broad-spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body. It's lightweight, absorbs quickly, and you can choose between unscented or coconut and pineapple. Native's on a mission to overhaul your entire hygiene routine by putting the care and self-care with products carefully made to work against odor that are made with simple ingredients and smell great. You can get their deodorant and body wash in amazing scents like coconut and vanilla, citrus and herbal musk, lavender and rose, and more. You can even build your own personalized product bundles, mix and match three of your favorite scents, and keep them on rotation so you have something for every occasion. Stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com slash obscura or use promo code obscura at checkout. Get 20% off your first order. That's native, deo.com slash obscura, or use promo code obscura at checkout for 20% off your first order. If there's ever been a year to make the dads in your life feel loved and appreciated on Father's Day, it's this one. That's why it's worth honoring your dad with a sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever. Story worth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your dad, grandfather, father-in-law, and every father figure in your life share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with them, especially if you can't be together in person. Every week, StoryWorth emails your dad a different story prompt, questions you've never thought to ask, like, what is your favorite story about your father? And... What things are you proudest of in life? 
StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. There's no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories. They make your family feel close, even if you're not together. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your dad's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book. That's shipped for free. Give your dad the most meaningful gift this Father's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com obscura. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com obscura for $10 off. Listener, I've been trying HelloFresh recently, and I have no idea why I waited so long. HelloFresh offers convenient, contact-free delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make, with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. Try their quick and easy meals, 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches in HelloFresh Market. Perfect for your busy schedule. Enjoy restaurant quality meals for less in the comfort of your own home. HelloFresh's gourmet recipes, like balsamic fig sirloin, over 72% cheaper than an average restaurant meal, more extras than ever before. HelloFresh's selection of delicious add-ons is getting bigger and better every week, featuring quick breakfast and lunches, proteins, savory sides, and crave-worthy desserts. And hey, over 90% of their ingredients are sourced directly from farmers to ensure only the freshest produce and proteins are delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, HelloFresh is the first carbon-neutral meal kit, offsetting 100% of carbon emissions. As a result, HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought, grocery-made meals. Now more than ever, HelloFresh is committed to making sure that fresh, delicious food is available. As part of this mission, they've taken extra steps to keep their employees and customers safe, including no-contact delivery, tamper-proof packaging, and team member wellness checks. Go to hellfresh.com obscura12 and use code obscura12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to hellfresh.com obscura12 and use code obscura12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. All of this information left the counselor in no doubt. She was confident that Adi was experiencing an episode of a rare mental illness called postpartum psychosis. But before we continue with our story, it's important to explain exactly what this condition is and what it looks like. According to the website, Prenatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, postpartum psychosis is characterized by paranoia, delusional, and disorganized thinking. Auditory hallucinations and intrusive thoughts, much like those Adi was experiencing, the changes in a new mother's behavior are usually noticeable with uncharacteristic behavioral changes and a sudden and dramatic change in thinking. As the new mother loses contact with reality, she can develop ideas about her newborn that can potentially endanger the baby's life. This can also result in the mother exposing her baby to harm through neglect. Confused thinking associated with postpartum psychosis 
can also manifest itself in the mother becoming socially withdrawn, non-communicative, neglecting daily self-care, such as eating, bathing, and sleeping. Usually there is a strong religious aspect tied to the paranoia and delusions. Sometimes called religiosity, this can extend to an affected mother experiencing a psychiatric phenomenon called command hallucinations. Command hallucinations are a form of auditory hallucination whereby a woman hears a voice, such as God or the devil, issuing direct instructions for her to follow through with specific and often drastic actions. Women are at the highest risk of developing postpartum psychosis or any psychiatric condition for that matter. Between the first trimester of pregnancy up to six weeks postpartum, the psychosis typically develops within days of giving birth. With the risk remaining high until six weeks postpartum, one woman in 1,000 will develop the condition. Unfortunately, at this stage, perinatal psychiatrists don't really have a clear-cut explanation about what causes the onset of postpartum psychosis, but several factors seem to be common. One is hormonal fluctuations. A new mother's endocrine system undergoes huge changes throughout pregnancy and the process of childbirth. In some cases, giving birth itself can be the trigger. Genetic susceptibility also appears to be a contributing factor. If a new mother has had a prior episode of postpartum psychosis or has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or there is a family history of either of these conditions, the mother is at an increased risk of having postpartum psychotic episode. In fact, women who have previously experienced postpartum psychosis have a 50% chance of developing it again with subsequent births. Interestingly, though, Many women who experience a psychotic break during the postpartum period have no prior history of mental illness. You may make the reasonable assumption that a history of depression and anxiety specifically would increase the risk of developing postpartum psychosis, where research to date has shown that this is not so. Treatments are generally extremely successful. Antipsychotic medication, including mood stabilizers, like lithium, have proved to be highly effective, but some cannot be taken while breastfeeding. In special cases, electroconvulsive therapy is used. Most mothers require hospital treatment, especially when there are concerns that they may harm their baby or themselves. But women who receive prompt and appropriate treatment have an extremely positive prognosis for complete recovery, which generally takes about six weeks. Adi Sanchez had acted in her best interests by telling her counselor what she was experiencing. Now her health was in the hands of the professionals. The clinic counselor got the ball rolling. In her view, Adi required an urgent psychiatric evaluation. The counselor arranged for an ambulance to take Adi straight from the clinic to the psychiatric unit at Metropolitan Methodist Hospital. In order to expedite the triage process, the counselor called the hospital to advise that Adi had presented with postpartum psychosis. But disappointingly, whoever answered the phone at the hospital didn't seem that interested. The counselor completed her notes regarding the transfer by noting, quote, Hospital worker did not want to take information over the phone. 
She gave the EMS in attendance, quote, specific details of the client's delusions and hallucinations and advised that this information was to be given to the hospital staff when Audie arrived. But despite the counselor's instructions, this didn't happen. In fact, Audie was treated like she'd been presented with a stubbed toe rather than someone having a severe mental health episode. Audie had to wait 20 minutes in the emergency room before she was examined, and even then, her initial assessment only focused on her physical health and blood work. It would be more than three hours after she arrived at the hospital before she saw anyone from the psychiatric unit. The evaluation only took 45 minutes and wasn't conducted by a psychiatrist, but a counselor. Adi again told hospital staff about hearing voices and seeing children's faces on her own son's face when she looked to him. Taking the initiative, Adi asked to be admitted as an inpatient for psychiatric care, given it had worked for her the year before. But this time, from the hospital's perspective, the question of whether it was appropriate to admit Adi come down to only one issue. Did Adi herself feel she was at the risk of safety of herself or others? When a new mother is presented with the question of whether she feels suicidal or homicidal, it's an entirely reasonable expectation that she will lie or downplay her symptoms. It's a no-brainer to draw the conclusion that should a mother admit to feeling this way, any children she has may be immediately removed from her care by the state, which is a terrifying prospect. Hadi was already fearful of Scotty being taken away. In fact, you'll recall that this was one of her delusions. So she decided to tell hospital staff that no, she wasn't suicidal or homicidal, nor was she experiencing any command hallucinations. Hospital staff documented that Adi was indeed experiencing both visual and auditory hallucinations, but there was no mention of any suggestion of diagnosis of postpartum psychosis. With all this in mind, it's entirely confounding as to how, given Adi's symptoms and presentation, and the clinic counselor's concerns, the hospital staff felt it was safe and appropriate to discharge Adi home around 4 p.m. that same day. Adi was discharged with the name of the clinic to contact to seek outpatient care, but that was it. There was no phone number for the clinic or even an address. The only other thing Adi left the hospital with were fact sheets. One was entitled, Hallucinations and Delusions. The other was schizophrenia. The print information described the various symptoms, provided general advice, which was, quote, call your doctor or go to the emergency room right away if your symptoms get worse. Hadi had already tried to do these things, but if the hospital was discharging her so quickly, maybe it wasn't as bad as she thought after all. The hospital didn't follow up to see if Hadi had made an appointment at the clinic they'd suggested. She certainly wasn't in a position where she was well enough to make the call herself. When Adi returned home, she told Scott she'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia the year previously. Her boyfriend was surprised. Scott didn't think Adi's behavior of late had appeared particularly unstable. However, her thought process was another story. Adi still felt paranoid. She was scared that she was being spied on and remained adamant there was a conspiracy by unknown people to take Scotty away. The auditory hallucinations intensified, becoming command hallucinations. 
Now they were telling her in no uncertain terms that Scotty was possessed by the devil. In order to avoid seeing the devil herself, Adi had to avoid eye contact with her baby at all costs. The couple were soon arguing again. Adi told Scott she'd had enough and was taking Scotty with her to live with her family on San Antonio's north side. Living at the property were Manuela, Adi's sister Priscilla, and Priscilla's daughters, who were aged seven and five. On June 25th, five days after Adi had moved out, she took her son back to Scott and Kathleen's house for a visit. Adi also wanted to collect Scotty's diaper bag and her medication, which she'd left there when she moved out. But things didn't go well. Adi already seemed to be behaving strangely when she arrived. She seemed agitated and paranoid. Scott asked Adi for a copy of their son's birth certificate and Adi's social security card. Adi refused to let Kathleen hold her own grandson because she was scared Kathleen was not only going to take him away, but breastfeed him. Kathleen and Scotty were now extremely concerned, telling Adi they felt it would be best if she sought medical attention. On hearing this, Adi took off in a huff, taking Scotty with her. She was so angry that she drove away from the house without properly securing her newborn in his car seat. Scott was so worried about his son's safety, unrestrained in the vehicle, that Kathleen called the police, telling them she felt Adi wasn't mentally stable. Scott later said he couldn't remember whether he told police that Adi had been experiencing postpartum depression. According to police, they weren't notified that there were any concerns relating to Adi's mental health. They didn't investigate the matter as anything other than a domestic disturbance. The chief deputy of Bexar County Sheriff's Office later said of Scotty's phone call, quote, If this guy had given us indication that she had postpartum depression or mental defects she was suffering from, we may have addressed it differently. Meanwhile, Hadi returned to her family's home and started taking her medication again. Later that evening, everyone headed off to bed with no further disturbance. At around 4.30 a.m. the following morning, all was quiet. When Adi's sister Priscilla awoke to something that sounded like it could have been coming from a nightmare, a woman was screaming, but she wasn't outside. The screaming was coming from inside the house. Priscilla realized with a jolt that the screams were coming from Adi. Rushing to the bedroom where her sister and baby nephew were sleeping, Priscilla made a discovery that couldn't be unseen. Adi had been awoken not long before used what appeared to be a samurai sword and a steak knife to butcher baby Scotty in the room where they were sleeping. Priscilla and her daughters had remained sound asleep in another bedroom throughout the carnage, but now Hottie's bed was covered in blood. It was obvious that Scotty was dead. Priscilla called 911, which is the audio that you heard at the beginning of today's episode. She was clearly in shock and was having competing conversations with others at the house in the background while on the line with the operator. During the call, distressed and confused Adi could be heard wailing in the background that she didn't mean to kill her son. When police arrived just after 5 a.m., Adi was sitting on the couch. She had self-inflicted stab wounds to her chest 
and had managed to partially slash her throat. As if this wasn't distressing enough, she was screaming, quote, I killed my baby. The devil made me do it. Upon searching the home, police were speechless when they found the tiny body of baby Scotty in a bedroom. The scene was more gruesome and hellish than any of them could have imagined. Scotty had been stabbed, dismembered, and almost decapitated. Three of his toes had been chewed off, his face was mutilated, and some of his brain matter had been pulled out. The images of that day went on to profoundly affect the attending officers long-term, some of whom would require ongoing therapy to deal with the horror they witnessed. Hottie was escorted by officers to the University Hospital in San Antonio in critical condition. Her face was smeared with blood from consuming some of Scotty's brain matter. Hottie's physical injuries weren't life-threatening, but she continued to hear the voices in her head. Now they were telling her she was going to receive a heart transplant, that she was going to be hurt in some way. Hottie told police that the devil made her kill Scotty, mutilate him, and eat his toes and parts of his brain. According to MSNBC, investigators seized the sword, a machete, and the kitchen knife from the home as evidence. Thankfully, Priscilla's young daughters were unharmed, but the family was in a traumatic stupor. Speaking to the Associated Press, Audie's Aunt Gloria expressed her utter disbelief, saying, quote, Audie didn't mean to do that. She wasn't in her right mind. Hottie's cousin Greg was equally as devastated, telling the Daily Mail, It's just tragic and unbelievable what happened. She was a good, hard-working person. As police conducted their inquiries and Audie was detained at the hospital, Stun Local Police gave a press conference. The mother mutilated the body. Uh, she ate portions of it. Uh, in addition to the mutilation. And uh, uh, apparently spent a, a fair amount of time doing it. There were, there were body parts missing uh, that she had ingested. Uh, she had o- opened up the, the child's head. And, you know, it's, I mean, it, it's... It, it, it's, it's too heinous for even me to describe it any further than I just have. We'll be filing charges with the DA. The, uh, the mother is still in the hospital. She, uh, she has some self-inflicted wounds. Adi was facing capital murder charges, according to the Huffington Post, in the days following the murder. Childlike chalk drawings featuring a hopscotch grid and hearts appeared on the sidewalk and path to the house where the tiny boy had lost his life. On July 28th, Hottie was discharged from hospital to Bexar County Jail, where she was held on $1 million bail. Scott spoke out, telling the Daily Mail that following the birth, Hottie refused to take medication to manage her mental health. Despite this, Scott told the newspaper, quote, She still seemed like a very caring, loving mother. She held him. She breastfed him. She did everything for him that was nice. However, by the time Scott spoke to CBS News, he was less forgiving. She 
just stated that she, she wasn't going to be with me no more and she wasn't going to let me raise my child. And it hurt me real bad because, I mean, I don't want my child being raised by somebody believing that that's the, his father. It just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. the, de the devil doesn't tell you to do anything. Where's the devil? Who talks to the devil? I think she should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. That's a death penalty in a case like this. That's sir. what I believe should happen to her. She killed my son. She should, she, she should burn in hell. Scott went on to tell the San Antonio Express News, quote, She was a sweet person, and I still love her. But she needs to pay the ultimate price for what she has done. Scott's mother, Kathleen, told the Daily Mail she felt conflicted over Audie's fate, saying, quote, I have mixed emotions. She needs to stay under psychiatric care. I love her. She was like a daughter. I don't want her out at this point, but that may change. When the medical examiner conducted the autopsy, Scotty's multiple injuries were extensive. His genitals had been mutilated. He had sustained bite marks from an adult, had almost been decapitated, and sections of skin had been removed from his body. Investigators were sure that Audie had been affected or influenced in some way to commit such appalling acts of violence. When they delved into her medical background, the circumstances that led to the tragedy crystallized. Police could see that Audie had previously tried to seek mental health treatment as she descended into psychosis. In a catastrophic turn of events, the system had failed both her and Scotty with deadly consequences. When it came to the question of prosecution, there were two options. Prosecutors could either pursue criminal charges against Adi, in which case they intended to seek the death penalty. If Adi was considered to have been insane at the time of the murder, even if she was competent to stand trial, she would instead be transferred to a state psychiatric facility for treatment. In the weeks following Scotty's chilling murder, Adi had two forensic psychiatric evaluations. Of primary concern to county prosecutors was whether Adi was competent to stand trial. Adi spoke freely during each evaluation. According to KENS 5 News, during her first interview, she explained that, just prior to the murder, she heard voices telling her that her mother had killed both late President John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe, and that the KKK was angry that Manuela had killed JFK. In the second evaluation, Adi told the psychiatrist that the voices told her she had to hurt her baby, because if she didn't, he would bring about the apocalypse. This auditory hallucination became even more specific just before Adi slaughtered her baby boy. She told the psychiatrist, quote, The voices told me to eat his insides. I was a harlot, because I had committed adultery. There was a demon in my stomach that would be released if I ate Scotty by 5 a.m. in the morning, and he would no longer be possessed. Adi explained that while consuming her son, she gagged and almost threw up, but kept going because the voices told her to. There were no questions for either of the psychiatrists that Adi had been experiencing a psychotic episode when she killed her son. In the evaluations obtained by KENS5 News, one of the psychiatrists concluded, it is in my medical opinion that Miss Sanchez was incapable of telling the difference between reality and her delusions. The second evaluation noted, it is in my opinion, based upon reasonable medical evidence, 
that Miss Sanchez had a severe mental illness at the time of the alleged crime. According to Fox News, Adi continued to experience flashbacks and hallucinations while in jail, awaiting her next court appearance. By this time, medication was on hand to manage her symptoms. In one instance, music playing over a speaker caused Adi to become unwell, taking her mind back to memories of the night. She killed her son. Despite the fact Adi had been unwell at the time of the murder, she understood the charges against her, what the legal process would entail. Community outrage over the ghoulish murder was high, and the county ultimately decided to proceed with a capital murder case. In September 2009, Adi's case was back in court. According to Fox News, in the event that Adi was determined to be considered sane at the time of the murder, County prosecutors were intent on seeking the death penalty. Adi was indicted by a grand jury. The judge was aware of the two psychiatric evaluations which stated that Adi was competent to stand trial. However, the defense argued that a third subsequent evaluation had been conducted indicating that this was in fact not the case. The court heard that Adi was suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder in addition to postpartum psychosis and schizophrenia. According to the Texas Observer, Adi's attorney stated that despite his client's presentation at the Metropolitan Methodist Hospital in San Antonio on July 20th, staff had failed to appropriately diagnose and treat her. He said, quote, She's got a big red light on her head saying, I'm going to explode any minute. You think they would at least talk to her doctor or ask her about her history? but they don't do anything like that. Intense scrutiny continued to be directed towards the hospital, and with good reason. The facility had discharged Adi in the week before the murder, after she had only been there for four hours, despite her reporting severe symptoms consistent with postpartum psychosis. In January 2010, the Texas Observer published a statement made by a hospital spokesperson in direct response to the inadequate treatment Adi received, saying, quote, Qualified mental health professionals perform a psych assessment focusing on three things, whether patient is suicidal, homicidal, or experiencing a deterioration such that, if we let them out of the hospital, they would be a danger to themselves or somebody else. The qualified mental health professional then gives an assessment recommendation to the ER doctors and the doctor makes his own assessment on whether the patient needs to be admitted. Doctor's recommendation always stands. Doctor bears liability for decision. June 30th, 2010 would have been baby Scotty's first birthday. It was also the day that 34-year-old Audie returned to court. In consultation with her attorney, she waived her right to a jury trial. In a deal which had been negotiated with county prosecutors, Adi's attorney entered a plea on her behalf of not guilty by reason of insanity. As the three separate psychiatric examinations had concluded that she was legally insane when she killed her son. Despite being competent to stand trial, the court was required to accept the plea. The judge ordered that she be committed to a state psychiatric institution for treatment where she would likely remain indefinitely. Outside court, 
the county district attorney told Fox News, quote, This was probably one of the most horrendous cases that we have seen as far as the murder of a child. She will be committed until the court decides she is not a danger to herself or anyone else. A lot of people are okay when they are taking their medications, but once they stop taking them, they are a danger again. It was an emotional day for Adi Sanchez's mother and her ex-boyfriend as Judge Raymond Angelini read the verdict. Now, at the heart of the judge's decision was the mental state of Adi Sanchez at the time of the gruesome killing. Ms. Sanchez, I'm going to find uh, that you are not guilty by the reason of insanity. Odie Sanchez waived her right to a trial by jury today for the killing of her three-week-old baby boy, Scotty, last July. Her defense attorney entered several insanity evaluations. The judge took less than five minutes to decide her fate. Once the district attorney was able to hear and see what the psychiatrist said, uh, they agreed. Sanchez showed little emotion, but her attorney says yesterday was very emotionally draining for her. It would have been little baby Scotty's first birthday. She misses her son tremendously, and, and, but she can't explain how or why it happened. After hugs and tears by both Sanchez's mother and Scott, the father of the child, we asked Sanchez's mother if she thought today's ruling was the right one. I think so, yes. No doubt about it. Sanchez will be sent to the Vernon Maximum Security State Mental Hospital in North Texas. She will be back to be evaluated by the judge in 30 days. I am glad that my daughter is getting a second chance at life. I'm sorry my grandson didn't get that chance. <laughs> now, doctors will evaluate her and recommend treatment. Judge Angelina will see her at least once a year to reevaluate her himself. If at any point during those evaluations, he feels she's mentally sane. She could be released. Listener, if anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you, or if you or someone you know is at risk, please call the 24-hour National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 1-800-273-8255 in the United States or your relevant emergency number. For further information about managing postpartum mental health, please contact your treating doctor. You can also visit www.com, womenshealth.gov, slash mentalhealth.gov, or www.panda.org.au. Thank you for listening, and keep the fire burning. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.